0: The Cartoon Revolution. I'm Deidre. And I'm Sonia. Why Cartoon Revolution? Because the cartoons we love aren't just for kids anymore. Cartoons have something to say and change to inspire, and we're here to break it down for you. Whether
1: it's anime or Pixar, 2D or CG.
0: Join us as we take cartoons too seriously and discover their hidden meanings and revolutionary ideas. Hey, Sonia. How are you doing? Good? Sleepy, but good. Mm -hmm. and to everyone else hope you're doing sleepy but good too (laughs) i actually have i was just thinking about this next episode and you know there's the strikes are still going on doesn't seem to be letting up on the news it's hard to escape all these things like wildfire and the things with the police and all that shit and i was thinking back to like my childhood and i really love Don Bluth films. Are you familiar with those films? Yes, off the top of my head, no. But then
1: I looked him up, and then I was like, oh my gosh, the Land Before Time movie. Mm-hmm. That was so iconic for me and my brother. It was like one of our favorite mm-hmm. films. Oh, yeah. um, had like nine movies or
0: something. <laughs> oh, <it was> so, <laughs> so good. We loved it.
1: Yeah. So definitely does mm-hmm. really bring back like childhood nostalgia for me when you mention that name. Yeah.
0: Yeah. He has some of my favorite films: The Secret of Noob. The Pebble and the Penguin. There's so many. I love all of them. And actually that got me thinking about this other film called An American Tale. Had you heard of this movie? I don't
1: think I had, but then as I was re-watching it, there were definitely parts of it that came from really deep within the recesses (laughs) of my brain where I was like, that's definitely familiar. I think it's one of those movies that was like the type that they played like When you're waiting for your parents to pick you up after school. It was like a classic that was constantly played,
0: but not one that
1: I rewatched a lot.
0: Yeah, this this film, it just came to my mind because this movie for those who haven't watched it is was set in around 1880s about like a Russian Jewish mouse family that was forced to flee Russia due to the destruction of their home at the hands of cats, although it's unclear the true motivations of the cats are just like the big bad. Well, and... I think
1: they call them the Cossacks, right? So they were like mm-hmm. anti-Semitic pogroms, right? I think, is that how the you pronounce it pogroms, basically anti-Semitic yeah. violence in yeah.
0: Eastern Europe. Right, right. I think like as someone who who didn't have all the context for that, especially as children, you wouldn't have picked up on that, but yeah, it's people fleeing from, from tyranny abroad and moving to America and it's about that journey and and the main character Fivel gets lost and it's him trying to reunite with his family. And there's this really prevalent narrative or even I, I would say like propaganda in you know, in some ways of this American dream. Yeah. I it came to mind because it's it's feeling very relevant to what's going on now. And I have watched some of the sequels that I kinda wanna talk about later as we move on. And okay, so you rewatched this, Sonia. Any like big thoughts as you watch the, the first film? I think
1: relevant is really the best word for it. I mean I wouldn't even say that I really liked or disliked the film or the franchise, but relevant was definitely the word that came to mind constantly. This pursuit of success through the American dream, this idealized vision of the United States, this hope for a better future that this country is supposed to represent, complicated by a lot of the hypocrisy, the oppression, the division, the fear and hysteria and just deception embedded within all of it and just how hard the immigrant experience was then and still is today is definitely relevant. Secondarily, something that struck me was the usage of animals and childlike stories to tell this story was, was really unique. It's not something that I think would ever really happen today or, or that we don't see much of today. And the thing is, that's very special. And yeah, important for kids to see that story as much as, again, they're not going to like pick up on what Cossacks are. Like anti-Semitism might be as clearly as we might as adults with more context, but definitely the message is still very prevalent about oppression, about hope and family and the immigrant struggle definitely carried through.
0: Yeah, so this movie came out in 19 the 1980s, like mid 1980s. Wow. Yeah, so so it came back a while ago and I think it's important to remember that Piece of this, it also came came out to pretty lukewarm reception. I think the Roger Ebert group didn't really love this film. They said it was a downer, which like (laughs) like, listening to what you just said is not a surprise because it's a kids' movie. Yeah, but there's some really heavy themes to it. Yeah, they also said they didn't go too deep into. Oh, some other critics were saying it didn't feel like they went deep enough to the Jewish heritage of the mice. Like I, I say that they're Jewish mice, but it's true that it's not super obvious I think like in the sequels that I watched a lot like it was it was more obvious but not in the original yeah
1: I read some of those criticisms too and I don't know I don't think you need to be as overtly clear about those details I, I mean I guess it depends on how seriously that was needed maybe at the time and today but I feel like as long as the message carries through around acceptance and, you know, unity in the face of oppression or injustice, whatever it is that can be applied no matter what the specific context, race, religion, whatever. And I thought it was kind of nice in that there were like these little like clues or treasures within that sort of help you understand as you maybe grow older and watch the film, you sort of pick up on the details more. And it kind of invites you to revisit and relearn and think about it a little bit more deeply each time you watch. I think they're celebrating Hanukkah in the beginning, and they have like a pretty clearly like Jewish sounding name, like Mauskowitz. And you know, they say the Cossacks, like there's, there's these little details that while not probably immediate to like a four-year-old it's gonna come out like and it makes the text more rich i know that's kind of like an interesting question general for us and this show which is just like how clearly you need to spell things out and how much you can trust your audience to find those rich details because cartoons don't need to be so simple like they are Capable of being complex. And I think that's okay.
0: Right. I want to actually talk about the really big overarching theme, I guess is the word in this film that has to do with the American dream. And Mind you, I had no recollection of living in the U.S. at the time that I started watching these movies, because I was when I did live there, I was very young. But it's it's something that comes up as like a motivation for the journey to America. And this narrative includes this idea that there are no cats in America. That as the family moves, like is forced to flee, they're looking, they're trying to get away from from the symbol of oppression and tyranny, which are the cats. And there's an entire musical number they talk about how the streets are made of cheese, how it's the land of opportunity. And if you work hard, your dreams will come true. And it's funny to me listening to it now, because I was like, yeah, this is like the kinds of films that I grew up with. And I was not at all American, but that American dream idea was so strong considering the American dominance of media for so long to people all the way across the world. Like me (laughs) watching these films and getting indoctrinated sounds too strong, but it's it's in there (laughs) exposed yeah it like seeps in so what is your relationship to this idea of the American dream as an American Sonia
1: yeah I mean it's obviously because I grew up with the same content but from a very different perspective having been born and raised here though much of my family are immigrants as well they all share a lot of those same beliefs and so for me growing up it was a lot of just like confirmation of like, oh yeah, I am in the best place ever or like this is the superior place. But as you grow more mature, like you start to question and doubt and then look at narratives like this and be like, this seems not real. <laughs> and There's a lot of problems. And then, you know, year by year, there's just, you notice a lot of issues around justice and division and inequality and it's just it's a very toxic principle but it's something that a lot of people still hold in a very valuable way like People to this day still get very offended. It's it's the center of like culture wars essentially right now. Is like you know the far right is saying that liberals and modern woke agendas are penetrating our society and trying to tear down America. They're trying to make white people feel bad about our heritage and history, and it's just this very weird backlash. And it's like shows you how deep the as you said indoctrination goes within our own society, and it makes you wonder like who what is this narrative for? One would think. American dream narrative. It's meant to help other people, other countries, you know, want to come here or think of us as the best. But I think really it's a narrative we want to tell ourselves to justify the place that we're in to make us feel better about the hypocrisies that are foundational to this country, you know, as a supposedly the free, best, superior country that was founded on slavery and indigenous oppression
0: and also free speech and this idea of liberation right i think this film takes an interesting take actually not this film okay this is my pitch to you sonia or to everyone else as well is that there's another film in this series that i think has a more interesting take on this idea of the American dream and the role of people who live in America to use this democracy that they have worked so hard for. And that is the third movie, which was the first straight to video movie called An American Tale, The Treasure of Manhattan Island. And I definitely like I love this film so much and I'm pretty sure you had never heard of it is that correct
1: that's absolutely correct I was like what are you proposing be good? I've never heard of this who has ever heard of this but I am intrigued yeah, so
0: yeah I, I'm I here want, <laughs> I want to start like a Just like some episodes every now and again, we just pick this really random gem from like God knows where (laughs) (laughs) our listeners may want to, to watch because because it's it's worth revisiting, I think. And and yeah, the catalyst was trying to find a film from a company that isn't being struck right now. That aren't like from studios where people are walking out or striking. Yeah, with the writers and the actors. Gotcha. I mean, there's like a bunch of catalysts for choosing this film, but okay. I like Since you that. Probably- you like, like that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. Like, I like that. Like taking a step back, revisiting something different that yeah. maybe is outside of mainstream Hollywood mm-hmm. lately, which is so toxic right now.
0: Yeah. If we decide on a name soon, you guys will hear about it. But I think every now and again, we'll just just pick and choose something. I think Pompoco would fall into that as well. It's just things that people have overlooked, might not have watched, but we think would be great for you guys. So I want to share the perspective of one of my sisters, and this is what she wrote. I was genuinely surprised by the progressiveness and themes of the movie. The issues the movie addressed are relevant, if not more, to today's political climate, especially in the U.S. The story of a working-class immigrant family living paycheck to paycheck and finding the courage to stand up to money-hungry authority is a story I think a lot of Americans can relate to today. And this was a low-budget movie from the 90s. Also, the we live in manhattan song is quite catchy which this is not her seeing speaking but i would i would agree So, okay, let me introduce this movie. So, like I said, this movie was the first straight-to-video sequel, which always interesting. What a time. That was it was released in 1998, which was the same year as like Mulan, Bugs Life, The Prince of Egypt, The Pokemon movie. Like these are really good movies that are coming out. Wow, what a revolutionary um, time it was 1998 but those were in theaters this one is a much what's the term like humble more humble release <laughs> so this movie is where it's like a continuation the second movie was called five old goes west it's about the family moving across moving west and their journey there this film takes place i guess before that while they're still living in manhattan and it's Bible, the main character, and his friends, they discover this like hidden passageway while they're in the city, and they discover this community of native mice that had moved underground like years ago when the European settlers had first come and it's them learning about this culture and then also trying going back with the daughter of the chief to try to see if try to assess if the world the upper worlders as they call it like the Europeans and the people there have like changed their ways and become less wanting to conquer and violent and more understanding and there's some again, there are themes of the American dream. there's a there's themes of the role of immigrants and how they not only come and believe this American dream, but how they can sometimes be trying to uplift it in a non-critical way because of how power dynamics are structured when you come to a country and you have to work so many jobs because your labor is not appreciated. There are themes of how the capitalist upper crust, (laughs) as they say, represented by these three bosses of this big cheese factory, are trying to gather power and whenever they're criticized, they use some kind of scapegoat as a way to Sick. divert the anger. And it's this divide and conquer tactic where they're turning the workers against each other and the Native Americans. As I um, said, relevant. <laughs> yeah, super relevant. But this is like, obviously not a movie that people really watch. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, th- I think it looks at the American dream in a more critical way. Do you have anything to add on that? Maybe let's talk about... Let's start with the hypocrisy of the American dream and how this movie looks at it more critically. Like, who do you feel benefits? Who do you feel doesn't? And why? Where do you think that goes wrong? And how does the movie talk about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you pointed out really well how there are a lot of people who come and they they're like hoping for this particular outcome and then just end up falling into the like abuse of the upper crust, as you said. And we see that with the factory and the way that they're allied with the police and there's a lot of brutality and they use the indigenous Lenape as the way of building a scapegoat, as you said. And it just builds this narrative that dreams are built off of collections of lies a lot of the time, but also clear decisions to divide people in order to uphold this idea idealized vision. That's not very real. And I definitely thought it was interesting to bring in the indigenous part of the story, because that's not something they did in the the main first movie, which is very much just about mainly Eastern European immigrant experience. That was very much like a, this is the beginning of this tale, which is the immigrant experience, but really the beginning of the tale starts with the first inhabitants, which are indigenous peoples. And in, in the case of New York, the Lenape tribe. So it was just nice that they brought that story in, however accurate it was done is another question, but the way that they had this portal set up almost to they like go deeper underground and sort of find it is kind of interesting because it builds this idea of different levels w- within the depths, kind of how that re- represents power. Because like a lot of these immigrant mice or whatever, they also live below ground, but it's like upper like (laughs) round and then you have way at the bottom is indigenous and that's that is kind of like how it historically is and i just liked how they portrayed that it does a good job of portraying it as almost like a portal to this fantasy world which is like how a lot of people have imagined native and indigenous communities is like oh that's another world or a different time in this very mystical way it completely ignoring the fact that it's like real history and also real present like a lot of these people are still around. They're still very much a part of everyone's lives and civilizations. So that was just an interesting way of exploring that, that I haven't seen in a lot of other films that deal with Native representation.
0: Yeah, I, I do think that's what ma- that's a big thing that makes this film special. I, I want to note that the writers are white. So I, I just want to acknowledge the limitations of that. But I will say they did a good job of representing the indigenous mice as having this community that was valuable wanting to not being so jaded by the by the events of the past that caused them to move underground for safety to actually try to see if change had happened above and also having agency in some way and not and actually being taken seriously i mean we look at the the cartoon films that have some kind of indigenous representation like Pocahontas like Atlantis El Dorado as well mm-hmm. El Dorado I think the ending is is not so different than than this one but this one also came out earlier but there's just been like a lot of jokes even in the new Barbie movie there there's like a joke about how the Barbies were were susceptible to the the Kens the disease of patriarchy yeah yeah and it was similar they were was it kate mckinnon weird barbie had like a line about how it was like how the native americans were susceptible when the europeans came because they hadn't built up a resistance to the disease which i just because i follow a few indigenous accounts and they were like really pissed about that because it's still so fresh for them right like yeah that's it's in kind of bad taste when the native americans have have lost so much in terms of their original range, the Lenape people in particular, also known as the Lenny Lenape, or known as the Delaware people, their historic range was parts of Delaware, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, New York. But of course, Eventually they were displaced where major populations were eventually ended up in Oklahoma, Wisconsin, Ontario. And so why do you think that having the Native Americans in this story would be a good counterbalance to say the Eastern European immigrants that were coming to America?
1: Yeah, just in that, like, if it's a story about oppression, especially as a result of the American dream, like they're really the the first sufferers in addition to slaves. West Africans, Black Americans, which interestingly, at least I haven't seen all of the movies, but I don't really see any presence of that in the story, which is kind of strange. Like that's something that would like, I feel complete the story is to include that perspective, but it kind of just puts into perspective, like that there there are different levels. While we shouldn't do the oppression Olympics, there are different levels to like the oppression as a result of this <laughs> dream. And yeah, that was, they were very much the first. And I think it kind of like, there's, there's this moment where I think five o has this moment where he realizes that, oh, our intention here was originally bad. We were looking for treasure. Like we didn't really care what it was from. We just wanted an easy ticket out of poverty by taking something. And then he realizes, oh, this is stealing. Like this is from a group that is, you know, worse off than I am. Like I actually have a lot of privilege in some ways compared to this group. So yeah, again, I think it's just nice because it puts it that into perspective, but it also illuminates what a lot of poverty is like and that you're just stuck in the day to day impression of like the factory or whatever it is. And a lot of times the only ticket out for people that they can imagine is a treasure or a lottery ticket, like some getting stroke, there of good luck that is just so impossible but it's like this small bit of hope that people can cling to in a system that is so exploitative but yeah so i think it was like a good learning experience for both the viewer and for five to realize that there is a level of oppression that is so deep and that is the loss of one's heritage of complete like identity like their people, there's so many things that the Lenape tribe and so many other indigenous communities have experienced at the hands of this America, as it is called today.
0: Yeah. It's still a children's movie, but I think that what you're talking about is Fivel having kind of like a crisis of faith once he has come to visit these underground indigenous mice, which I think is quite powerful because Fival really within the entire series is this Child mouse that really believes what his father told him that America is where dreams come true. And to have him really question that and really grapple with that in a straight to video movie, by the way.
1: <laughs> so wild.
0: <laughs> it's yeah i think it's like such a great thing it's and i don't think that this film necessarily removes the merit from the american dream but just to have the main character critically look at it and see how it affects people differently is really interesting and unexpected it didn't reach the wide audiences that it obviously the first movie did but i i I think in some ways it has a more nuanced take on on this big central theme of the franchise
1: yeah and i think while it's like a pretty sad film and that like the ending is, you know, everyone survives for the most part, but it's still like a pretty unresolved sad ending and that everyone's still kind of at the mercy of the system. At least it has a strong message of unity, which I think is really important. We see really clearly how. The people in power inflame racial tensions and scapegoating to divide people such that they are unable to demand better. We've seen a lot of more recent versions of this. So many panics around immigrants at the border, Islamophobia, Asian hate during the pandemic. This is not an old concept. It's still very much around. But at least the the sort of resolution at the end is very much about like, I think it's Fievel's dad who says, our dream of a better life is what unites us. And the enemy is them, meaning like those in positions of power and the deceivers and oppressors. And so holding on to what unites us is what will give us hope and a way out. So I thought that was like a really apt message for the viewer to learn, though it still is something we all deal with today.
0: Yeah, I mean, spoilers, but it's an old movie, I guess. <laughs> I still think even when we say the ending, you should still watch it, everyone, because it's it's really fun. But what you're talking about, is Papa Mouskowitz, right? He's just pointing out the hypocrisy of the three bosses and how they are trying to turn people against each other. And you see like kind of in the beginning of the movie, just the dissatisfaction and people are starting to catch to the fact that it's the bosses that are making these decisions and they're starting to get angry. And then as that turns, there's literally an entire song where these bosses are scheming and saying, like, we need to take the pressure off of us, we need to figure out who's to blame. And they have a song called Friends of the Working Mouse, which is, it's just funny watching it now because of like, how unions are being forced to kind of come back after so, so many years of losing favor in the US. And essentially, Papa Moskowitz starts a union like that's, that's the thing at the end. And to me, what I was reading into is how central unions are to the American dream and how that is part of giving everyday workers the right to negotiate for a better life. And because of this freedom of speech, they're allowed to do so. You know, in reality now, there's been some decisions in the courts that I'm perplexed, let's say. Mm -hmm. By you and everyone else, who (laughs) who slash what you know what is considered able to have rights. It's it's anyway. I'm I'm not American, so Mm -hmm. sorry, whatever. But this actually reminds me of this tactic of like turning immigrants against against each other. Reminds me of the Asian and Black community in the u.s are you familiar with some of that history and yeah how the, um, how the asian model minority myth kind of
1: came yeah back? totally i think we talked about it a bit in our turning red episode but as someone who grew up in socal the riots in la the fighting between the korean and black community is something that the legacy of which really carries in our area and the minority myth is still used as a way to basically portray Asians as the good minorities who are hardworking, high earning, which is not an accurate reflection of what Asian America really is. It's very diverse. There's a lot of income inequality. There's a lot of colorism and differences because it's such a large group.
0: Yeah. And I want you to correct me in case I get anything wrong. Like a lot of this I learned not in school (laughs) or at least bits and pieces of it. But so as I understand it, there have always been Asians and Black people in the U.S. Like they were not only there, but they're integral to what America is today. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, through slavery, through like the building of the the railroads, all of that, and can't remember exactly where this was born out of, but there was an influx of a lot of Korean immigrants coming into America, and because of you know, the types of property they could actually afford. They ended up moving into these black and Hispanic communities, like their neighborhoods, and coming in quite large numbers, escaping the the devastation that was going on between the two Koreas and that war. And they started opening pretty quickly starting to be able to open businesses and kiosks and laundry laundromats and things like that. And for the most part, every day, it was actually good for a long time. Yes, there would be tensions, of course, but these communities got along well, and they were helping each other, and they were starting to learn from each other. You can just see from Black culture how much it really takes from Asian, especially Eastern Asian cultures I mean and vice the, versa too and vice like versa like exactly. k-pop
1: and stuff yeah
0: exactly exactly we get like the Wu-Tang Clan and you know <laughs> <laughs> and all of that and the thing is, like both of these groups really would make up a huge part of the working class. And as tensions start to rise between the communities because the working conditions are so terrible, it's a similar situation where the elites who, yes, happen to be white because this is this is America, realize that these groups were coming together and picketing together and striking together and this was not good and so what ended up happening is that there's a push towards progress but also a lot there's a a pushback because those in power feel threatened and 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 there was a paper that came out citing the the model minority which they they choose East Asians. I don't think it's an accident that they're also lighter skinned, by the way. And, (laughs) and it's, we always talk about the Asian, the model minority, like Asian model minority, but this was in direct contrast to the problematic or the problem minority is what they called it in which they referred to black people. And this has kind of has been a pattern to upholding whiteness is that they need a scapegoat and that has almost always been Black people in terms of putting them at the very bottom. And so they started sowing a lot of resentment between the two groups, the giving East Asians a more access to opportunity and leverage. and tensions start to grow and and the Black communities didn't feel like the East Asian communities were uplifting the entire community and just like infighting started happening when actually these communities have really helped each other grow culturally and have had a long history of getting along again for the most part. So this is a really complex topic and I didn't necessarily get all the nitty gritty details correct here. But I want to clarify that this article in which the model minority label came about, as far as we can tell, was from a New York Times article in 1966 by William Peterson called Success Story, Japanese American Style, in which he uh, talks about Japanese Americans and Asian Americans as quote unquote, this model minority in somewhat parallel to the Jewish Americans and contrasting that to problem minorities Uh, specifically black people and this is coming in 1966 so right in the middle of the civil rights movement in which many african-americans are or the leaders of the civil rights movements are african-americans and are coming from these african-american communities so it's just some interesting context i will say that a great, there are two great videos to watch. One is just a five-minute video from TED-Ed called Can Stereotypes Ever Be Good? by Sheila Marie Orfano and Den Sho. And the second one, which I really loved and I got a lot of this information from, is uh, Rush Hour, an unexpected image of Black and Asian solidarity by Quality Culture. So check those out. I'll put the links to those in the description yeah that was just like an interesting parallel it's it's so true you know and
1: it it is very much evident in the film as well like it's exactly the same thing we see the the lenape girl colina yes so she comes up and is spotted and there's this whole conspiracy around like oh they're coming back they're infiltrating there's deception which is like it's it's using there's a trope of the deceptive evil sneaky indian which they're literally using in the movie to inflame tensions to make everyone go into mass hysteria, all the workers and to have them divide amongst themselves and cause chaos so that they're all weaker and that's exactly what is happening in the example you gave. And there's so many examples of that throughout history in the US. There's this really cool Punjabi Mexican community that formed of farmers like so long ago in which these Punjabi workers, they couldn't bring their wives from India or like they couldn't bring anyone. So they intermixed and married into these Mexican families. And there's this beautiful cultural unity and mixing and fusion that kind of occurred. That's very special. And now today, like, it's something that's it's a legacy that's kind of almost forgotten and like you just hear about oh like south asians are the model minorities they're the highest indian americans are the highest earning income group in the us and like why can't these other immigrants be like them why are they so poor as if it's their responsibility or like they're (laughs) bad for some reason when instead of experiencing very different cultural forces and very different ways of immigration different contexts everything so yeah there's just so many moments of that in history where you have these great moments of unity that are then beaten down and the cycle repeats and we're still waiting for that breaking point where we come to that realization that the papa maskowitz does which is that our dream of a better life is what unites us
0: yeah i I think that's true. I mean, obviously, this movie is American, it's going to like tap this American dream. But as someone who doesn't live in the US, and reflecting on my own experiences, it's this idea of finding a better life. And sometimes having to make the difficult decision to move is quite a universal tale. And I I do think like that kind of spoke to me in that way. Yeah, totally. I think it's also interesting so some of the characters there's quite a few characters in this film that show up in the first film but we don't get to really see them as anything else than as the background for example and that includes the police the police in the first film don't do very much at all but they are around they are just kind of like bumbling and silly and they don't I don't believe they even have any lines in the first film but how do you feel the policing plays a part in In this entire discussion that we've talked about, with the American myth and why is that such an important, I I guess, flavor to this discussion at all? Yeah, it's a really good question. something worth discussing
1: ever since George Floyd, Rodney King, like there's so many examples of police brutality that have been right at the heart of racial tensions. And I'm glad that they brought that in because it definitely resonates still today. And it shows how police are are an instrument of whatever anxieties there are about lower-class Risings or unity that threaten the established social order that benefits purely one group, and they really do show that brutality. Like it's it's pretty violent, and I appreciate that they don't shy away from that because that's that's realistic, <laughs> accurate. We see examples of that all the time in the news.
0: I think what was powerful for me, or just like interesting for me to watch, was there's this exchange. So once. The mob starts to build up and they're like storming through the town trying to look for Cholina. The family obviously has to flee and has to hide her. So they, they like put a scarf on her and and they tell her to keep her head down. And as, as they're trying to get her ready, Cholina makes a remark, which is like, you know, what are police? Like she, she doesn't have any concept of the police. And they're like, oh, it's, they're these people who help keep order and, and make sure people are following the law. And Cholina is like, so they should be, should be helping us, right? We should be trying to find them, and Mama Mousekowitz is like, no child, like that's that's wrong, you know. And it's such a small exchange in the heart of this tension that's building up in the scene that I think, you know, most of us, like many of us, have this idea of what the police are for, but but also not always. Having to face the reality that there's a reason why they are around that is not necessarily for the everyday people and what that means. And I I mean, personally, I really had to confront that here in Hong Kong. Yeah. Yeah, I... Again, that's just like another thing that I was like watching it again, right? Because I haven't watched it in a long time. I I did obviously did pick up on that when I was younger, but that I just like found interesting. Like we've been talking about these themes for a long time. I feel like I sometimes feel like there's a lot of new interesting stories being told, but there's also some themes that I feel like have been neglected a little bit that we don't hear quite as often in in at least animated films yeah because of just the types of stories that are being told really
1: yeah that's what makes it so special we just have so few gems like this that go into that level of complexity and detail and struggle I think Pompoko is a great example but that's again another rare gem like you don't see a lot of that especially in the U.S. but what you said about police the way that society functions on the upper level right where you know, the immigrant mice and like the cheese factories are it serves like a great opposite to how the Lenape are presented in the film, which is that they, they very clearly say, we don't know weapons, like those traps that you saw, which is, again, they're u- using another classic native trope and like sort of undoing it. Like they said, like, that's something that's our ancestors. did. We don't know violence. We don't know weaponry anymore. And that is a really good pa- counterbalance to the scene about the police in which it, it kind of puts to mind what societies actually really do need the police, not else as societies do and why is it that we can't just build this communal sense of violence is wrong and just not even have a need for them in the first place and then it puts you in mind of who or what the police are usually actually for and it's not necessarily for the preservation of everyone it's for the preservation of a specific social order and hierarchy specifically and that's just like such a bold thing for like a show like this to like put forward it's just really like wow they really did that i feel like they yeah. couldn't do that these days
0: i mean they they also knew this was going straight to video they weren't gonna reach that wi- as wide of an audience but they kind of went for it anyway yeah they're like we're just really gonna do it, it. <laughs> <laughs> like they there's parts of this story narrative that i was like you guys really you didn't have to go this hard considering the other like straight to video sequels that were coming out even within the same production company but they went for it and i <laughs> <laughs> I I liked it okay so I guess yeah the police it's yeah like you said it's still a very relevant topic the The idea of workers rights still very relevant who gets to keep power what about I mean did you feel like this is there anything in this movie that doesn't feel like a downer to you I, I, <laughs> I mean I guess the the childlike sense of
1: hope and discovery something that carries strongly in both movies it's something that inspires the older generation too as we see at the end that's always good and inspiring it is a rough ending like it's pretty sad and it doesn't leave you feeling like the world is going to become a better place necessarily wow nothing's changed (laughs) in all these decades but still something that is always true is that the next generation comes with much more hope and much more action to push the older generations to do more and fight for a better future for all of us. And I think that's very much true today and something worth leaning into.
0: I'm gonna counter you because I actually, I thought the ending was hopeful. I feel like we had this this conversation during the Pompoco movie as well. maybe you're just a hopeful person and i'm not (laughs) yeah so the ending is is basically that the police come to the underground community and then they get driven out but as Sonia said, the chief acknowledges that they don't really have the firepower or the knowledge of aggression that would be enough to protect them. And so the plan is to seal the passageways to the underground. They they just want to make sure that no one can come and, and you know, discover them again, at least like the upper worlders, right? And he did also note that there are way, other ways for them to get to the upper world. So they're not completely sealing themselves off. But I think for me, it's in contrast to other indigenous, or, or movies where indigenous people show up, like for example Atlantis, which obviously is a fictional community of indigenous people, although obviously they're coded that way, where it's very like white savior narrative, and that's very prevalent in yeah. in media. and. I mean, you. I mean, I think technically, like, someone might argue that like Fibel and his friends are like saving, quote unquote, the the Lenape. And sure, sometimes they are, but like, really, there's there's a more communal a communal way in which they're helping each other and coming to the decision together.
1: Yeah, it's like their own agency that drives like whatever saving happens. Like yeah. they they decide what they want to do, and they tell
0: them how to do lead it. Lead that, right? Yeah. So I thought that was great, and at the end, you realize that they're, you know, they're not completely blocked off. They're there. And I think it it speaks to the hope that this tribe has that someday we will get there. And because of how it ended and how the, the mice are unionizing, like it there, there was a way forward at the end that this movie was presenting, which I guess was unionization between workers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I think we're at a turning point now too. I, I don't know how successful, things will be in the short term because of just how massive the gap between the rich and the poor are since we've entered this age of you know globalization but i think things are like a pendulum i do think these unionization efforts IRL are momentum so yeah i thought it was personally i thought i thought it was quite hopeful i i think the children are are this catalyst of hope and yeah. the symbol of hope as as children often are in media mm-hmm. and I I also think that this again, this group of Lenape, they haven't completely become jaded by the things going on upstairs. Right? They they don't want to completely close themselves off, but they just have an understanding that in order to protect themselves, they need to create boundaries, you know? Right. And that agency
1: shows resilience and resistance in the face of this just overwhelming tide of oppression that has driven them to this state. And yeah, I think you're right. Like in isolation, it does have a hopeful Ending, but with context, of current events. Oh, I think yeah. it does leave one feeling like we're still
0: in it. You know, I think yeah. that's where I'm at. I think we'll we'll be in it a lot. Another thing that I really liked about this movie is this idea of treasure, which comes yeah, because it's yeah. it's the thing that drives five and his friends to go down in the first place. is they find this map that lets them know that there's some kind of treasure down below, and so they go looking for it, and that's how they find find the Lenape. The Lenape. And later, it's revealed. That the treasure is this tapestry. They they had a particular name for it that I can't actually remember off the top of my head. It starts with a a W. And basically it's this beaded tapestry that tells the story of their people and how they had to move. And there's this, and like obviously Five and his friends thought it was gold. They thought it was a way mm-hmm. to get rich. Just as we said, like they're Tony to Pony works at the factory and and has his earnings taken away for the week because of some tardiness. And it's just really hard to get ahead for them up up at the top. So they thought that they could do this, get rich quick scheme. It's like like lottery tickets. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's just, it's interesting because the adults fall for this too. Like the children, you can kind of be like, yeah, you know, you guys are kids, maybe, You know, like, but as an adult, like, scuttle the the other characters. You're like, maybe you should have known better. Who knows? I don't know. We're all kind of caught in this in this wheel.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but it's a really good point about like what really is the treasure. And it's like, it's our like heritage. It's our like community and our purpose. And yeah, those stories. And yeah, those are the real treasures. And it's a really nice undoing of like what one traditionally thinks of when you think of treasure and Manhattan Island, like one might think like Wall Street or like, you know, immense profit, like (laughs) the richest Americans and like the way that like they have maybe altered like what success and treasure looks like. It's like a very specific monetary, financial, personal gain and not like a shared community story or heritage or sense of identity. So I think that's again like really beautiful and different.
0: Yeah, I appreciate how they used the the proper words for they 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 use the the language several times throughout the movie. They don't just I mean who knows how they learned English in the first place, but whatever. They still included their native language <laughs> and and use it even to like teach Fival and his friends different things about or in giving them nicknames and stuff. So yeah, I think that's quite that was quite special for for a film like that. And I I think it also recontextualizes what like you said what we should be taking as important and whether our priorities are right and why do we have these priorities like I think a lot of us struggle with that today is like understanding that capitalism sure has its benefits, but is also trapping us in a lot of ways. And then are like, we still have to kind of navigate, but we still have to navigate that actual system every day. It's yeah, that's just, I guess that's our story. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So, okay, Sonia, what's revolutionary about this film?
1: Yeah, I think I've also already said it, but I'd say relevance to modern day struggles, and just like the way that history repeats itself with a lot of these stories, waves of people coming here for a better life, realizing that it's kind of a deception, or it's like a really difficult dream to achieve, because it's almost impossible, or it's made much easier for specific groups of people. and just the layers of oppression throughout history that have made this country what it is today. It's only rich and successful, however you qualify those terms because of the degradation of many groups of people in the past and the present. Yeah, but also still the relentless hope, no matter what. And I think that's central to the immigrant experience, like the hard work, the struggle, the fight for better, but like always this unrelenting hope of like, I can do better. I can achieve this as long as I work my hardest and do my best. And I think that definitely still carries through and something that, yeah, it's still very relevant
0: today. I, oh, Okay. So, so I think for this film, why it's revolutionary, I've, I've mentioned a lot of different things. I think that the tr- idea of what treasure is in contrast to to I think the more capitalistic view of that is to have that in the film is quite revolutionary. I think to have some kind of Native American representation not only be clarified as being a specific tribe because Native American is such a huge monolith of so many cultures like Asian American, for example. So wow, um, that that's like actually revolutionary, like it's just so I know, sad, I know. like the bar so low. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean credit where credit's due I suppose <laughs> um, I think like having that representation at the time that the movie came out like is 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 big for what it is the fact that they're willing to engage critically with this idea of the American dream is is revolutionary in the context yeah there's things so okay easter eggs hot takes
1: yeah I think one really interesting fact I was reading about is that DreamWorks- Animation, obviously, one of the biggest studios that brought us like Shrek, Kung Fu Panda, How to Train Your Dragon, so many like big titles Mm -hmm. might not have existed without an American Tale, the first movie, or really this franchise, because Spielberg's animation studio was like kind of born through the first movie. And then like he created it, I think it's first Amblin and then it became Amblimation, and then Spielberg worked with Jeffrey Katzenberg and David Geffen to create DreamWorks and then folded so many employees from Amblimation, Am- his animation studio to be like the main powerhouse within DreamWorks animation. And I think the first movie they made was like the Prince of Egypt.
0: So I thought that was, was a really in interesting. 1998. Yeah. The same year that this movie, the the treasure of Manhattan came Keep... <laughs> out exactly Manhattan Island <laughs>
1: yeah so this is like really cool like it's a, they're like it's a very different film compared to what you like traditionally associate with DreamWorks very different vibe uh, but a lot of like the animation talent came from the same source and so I think it's it's really awesome that like a very unique film like this is like what made DreamWorks potentially possible obviously there are a lot of factors but
0: that was just an interesting right, right. fact. Yeah, and, and An American Tale was, I think, only the second film from the Don Bluth Animation Company. So that that also made, or I guess, yeah, if there was a short film, there was a direct-to-TV, The Secret of Nim was the first, my favorite, 1982, mm-hmm. of my favorite films, like to this day. Yeah, and so An American Tale was second. And yeah, So so it is quite a pivotal film for a lot of a lot of a lot of people that we're talking about in the in the background yeah okay I guess my hot take is not going to be that surprising but I think this I think so I I feel like this direct to video sequel the treasure of Manhattan Island is better than the original American tale yeah that is a hot take I mean they're very different,
1: I don't know, very similar themes, but like different in terms of journey and approach. Yeah. And I think like, it's it's interesting too, because like, this one is not actually that well rated or reviewed overall. And I don't know, like, I don't really understand why, like, I definitely can see that it's it people might struggle with tone with it and subject matter, it's, it's very difficult subjects. But I thought it was a pretty solid film overall.
0: Yeah, I got like a 32% on Rotten Tomatoes. Wow. And a 5.7 out of 10 out of IMDB. Mm-hmm. But an 83% of Google users like the movie. Mm-hmm. I think I I I'm a little cautious about the rating because I you know, like who is actually watching this film that's also rating it cuz it was like came out in 1998 like mm-hmm. I think I think it's easy when you see like a Native American coded person on a cover to just ma- jump to conclusions about how that representation looks like, and I can totally agree. Yeah, and to be clear, we how can't. what happen like as like we're neither of us
1: like qualifies as indigenous within this context, at least. So like neither of us can truly say like how good or accurate the portrayal is. I mean, I think we can say like, it is a lot better than like what was previously coming out, but that's not to say that it's like universally considered good. Like I I haven't seen much discourse on it, but it's definitely possible that there are like factors that we, we are beyond our consideration or view from like the positions that we're in. But yeah, I can definitely see what you're saying around like people maybe like not feeling like it's. Accurate or interesting or that it's like controversial or that it like mucks up the American dream in some way. And then just like treating it as like a hot potato (laughs) in terms of its content.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And on that note, I'll I'll say because this is for like a younger age range, if you have children who you know, I think would enjoy this film. I know, I know we talked about it quite heavily, but a lot of it is not going <laughs> to be picked up by the target audience of this film. And there are a lot of great musical numbers, like they were, I was watching this and all. maybe I have rose-colored glasses or whatever, <laughs> Like, but I, I love, I just like the music as well. And it was really fun. But if you have young children who who you're looking to find a show for, there is actually a Native American animated show that's going on right now called Spirit Rangers. It was I think it started streaming on Netflix in twenty twenty two, so it's quite new, but I believe they released it on Indigenous People's Day. And it's gotten pretty good reviews. I I guess I guess that's it. Everyone have a great rest of yeah. your
1: give it a review. shot if you've never seen it.
0: Please, please. That's my pitch. I think we like, are episodes where we just like start pitching lesser known films yes. every now and again. We don't have to do it all the time. We, but we did, uh, we did do Barbie, which everyone knows. Right. And we did <laughs> um, like frozen before. So let's let's take a step back every now and again. Let's, let's uh, give ourselves time to reflect on and revisit. Plus one. what you say? Plus one. Yeah. They agree.
1: <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. <laughs>
0: I don't know what Young Slang. (laughs) We're like one year (laughs) apart. (laughs) I know. (laughs) Uh, Anyway. All right. Bye everyone.
1: Thanks for joining us on Cartoon Revolution. Episodes drop the first week of every month on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast platforms. Follow us
0: on Instagram at cartoonrevolution.pod. That's CartoonRevolution.pod. Tell us what you're watching and share your hot takes with us. Music
1: is from The Musical Ghost. See you next time. See you soon.